Well, good morning again. I have to say, uh, of all the decorations up here, my favorite are the mat-sized palm trees here in the back that even I couldn't like be shaded from. So, but yeah, we're really excited for this week. It's been just wild seeing everybody get ready, and uh, it's going to be a good, good time. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter three. Uh, and I do want to give a quick shout out to the dads in here. Uh, and in the spirit of being a good dad, I, I, I want to give a little bit of a pre-warning. Uh, there are some mildly adult themes in our text this morning, but I promise to be careful uh, and, and, and aware of the audience. Uh, I've got kids here myself, so I don't want to be drawing any further attention to things that the text doesn't draw further attention to, because the text draws a lot of attention to them. Um, so I promise to be careful. Uh, all right, so when we left our two main characters, uh, Ruth and Naomi, Ruth had been uh, greatly blessed by Boaz, uh, this close relative and potential redeemer uh, of, Na- of Ruth and, and then Naomi, of course. And if you'll remember our main theme word that we've been talking about throughout the book of Ruth, this, this Hebrew word hesed, which is that deeply committed, deeply generous, deeply hopeful love whose motivation lies in the commitment or covenant made to the person or the cause. It's rather than being motivated by our feelings towards a person or their response to the love that is shown, rather we are doing the work because of our commitment to them or and as Christians to, to God. So if we think back actually to chapter 1, after Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws to go back to the land to the safety and provision of their families and, and, and the people and a potential new husband, uh, Ruth says no. No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going with you. Uh, For now, from now on, your land is my land, your people are my people, and your God is my God. And and let Yahweh punish me if anything but death separates us, uh, uh, separates us from here on out, which is just a powerful, powerful commitment to Naomi uh, from Ruth. It is a death, a death of one life, one of potential comfort and stability into the birth of a new life, which will potentially be We don't know. Singleness, hard work, as we've seen, ostracism and ridicule because Ruth is a foreigner, right? And and potential physical harm because she's going to be working in in the field with with men who who could potentially take advantage of her. She's really putting herself out on a limb. And then once they get back into Bethlehem after this long journey, uh, you know, everybody goes, oh, is that Naomi? And she goes, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. For I left full and now I've come back empty. And you got to think Ruth is standing right there. And she's like, hello, I'm, I hear you. Thank you for, for, for that, right? But she doesn't do that. She could have said, listen, old woman, I'm out. Like, why would you treat me that way? I'm, I've committed myself to you, and yet you say this about me? Like, you're empty? She doesn't do that. In fact, one of the first acts that she does upon getting to Jerusalem, I mean, to Bethlehem, probably fatigued from the long journey, was to go out and put in a long day's work in the field. And so Hesed is, is a love with no qualifications put on it. It's not an if you do this, then I'll do this kind of love. It's I'm going to love you. Full stop. Period. That kind of love. And as Christians, I want us to understand that we do this because we do this because we're committed to God and his ways. And, and, and not our ways, but his ways. We've committed to follow Christ, to make him Lord, to follow his kingship. And two, because this is also the way that God loves us. This is how he shows his love to us. And, and, and we want to be people who reflect God's love to the world around us. And listen, if we love based on the world's response to our love as Christians, it won't last very long if that is our motivation. And so we don't love because of what we get in return. 
And just as an aside, we, we have to understand two uh, important realities of, of Hesed love. It, it is, one, it takes commu- uh, humility, it takes humility and a willingness to, to admit that there's no way I can do this unless Christ gives me strength to do it, right? I mean, this is what Paul means when he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's not talking about, you know, being physically strong per se, right? He's talking about doing hard, hard work, the hard, hard work of going through a hard, hard situation and still being able to love people and reflect Christ to them. He's talking about doing the hard thing that Christ asks us to when there's no earthly reward in return. And secondly, we must understand that Hesed love, uh, it takes a village, right? It takes a village. And, and, and what I mean is Hesed love should be our way of life. And so we need each other to help encourage one another to that end. Our local body, like we need to recognize uh, the, the hardships that people are going through, the, the giving away of our life that we try and, and do with the people around us. And we're not perfect at it. We're inconsistent, but we try. And so we need to be encouraging one another and to care for one another and to, to take care of each other in this way. Ruth was wearing herself out for Naomi, but Boaz showed Hesed love to Ruth, which is exactly what she needed. Right? So we've got to be working this out in com- community and encouraging one another and strengthening one another as we're trying to display this Hesed love to those around us. And as we've seen, is, it, what we've seen is that because of Ruth's Hesed love for Naomi, that, that, that Ruth has been blessed. You know, he, they're blessed with food, and, and, and Boaz recognizes what she's doing and, and cares for her. People start to see what kind of woman Ruth is. Last week we saw Boaz, having already heard about Ruth's love for Naomi, show Ruth Hesed love and bless them with food, access to food, essentially eliminating the hunger problem that started the book. And this generosity and love from from Boaz towards Ruth starts to draw Naomi out of that pit of bitterness. Right? She starts to have hope and and see a light at the end of the, the kind of bitter tunnel. And what we're going to see this morning is now that Ruth, coming out of this, she starts to turn the tide a little bit. She starts to have ideas and hopes and, and, and dreams and, and, and getting back to her regular way of being. And so let's get into it this morning in Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, whose young women you were, with, who, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. And so they're in, at the end of the barley season, you know, it's probably been a few weeks, even a month or so, before, well, since that first gleaning of Ruth just in the last chapter. And, and as we saw last week, that the Hesed love of Boaz has given hope to Naomi, right? She, she saw Yahweh as the one who is blessing them through Boaz. She, so her bitterness is lifting. And now when we see her revisiting a place that, that we actually talked about way back in chapter 1, when, when in Ruth 1.9, when she, she tells Orpah and Ruth, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. And now she's revisiting this with Ruth. She says, wait, sh- shouldn't I help seek rest? Right? And rest being that rest that comes from a, a potential new husband. Shouldn't I help seek that, that support and care for you so that it can go well for you? It's like a light got switched on. And now that, that prayer that she stated way back in chapter 1, I mean, she really cared. She really wanted Orpah and Naomi to be cared for. I mean, and Ruth. 
And now she's saying, I should be helping answer that prayer. I should be working towards doing that for you. This is going to be important for us uh, in a little bit. But, But what she comes back to is Boaz. Boaz, of course, he's a relative. He's available. He's wealthy. He's noble. He's the perfect choice. So she concocts this plan and relays it to Ruth and says, Ruth, listen, it's the end of the harvest, and and Boaz will be at the threshing floor tonight, winnowing the barley with his workers. And and, and Boaz, uh, so so what you need to do is is go and bathe yourself, anoint yourself with the the good-smelling oil, and put on your cloak, you know, and go down to the threshing floor. You see what she's doing here? Naomi wants Boaz to notice not just internal beauty that Ruth has, but also external beauty. And she's ratcheting it up, that lure, uh, allure, and that, that romance. And however, she also recognizes that her plan is, uh, well, it has a lot of potential issues, most of which actually has to do with the threshing floor, right? And, and, and when, at the threshing floor, it was the place where, first and foremost, uh, the workers would, would take the harvest, and they would beat the stalks on the ground, and, and they would do, do a few things, right? It, w- it would separate the, the kernels from the, the stalks, but the threshing floors, they were situated in a place where the winds would also flow through. And so as they're beating it and the kernels are falling off, it also blows away the chaff. Uh, so you're leaving just the kernel seed. And probably how this was situated was what there, there was a center section where the, each, maybe people from the field that were, would come in and they would, they would beat that, uh, the stalks and get the kernels. And then they would kind of move theirs to the side until it was ready to transport. So you probably had on the outside edges multiple piles of, of barley and, and wheat in that middle section where the threshing was actually happening. And so this means a few things, right? At, at a threshing floor, there are a lot of people and workers milling around doing the work. Secondly, threshing floors had a reputation of, of uh, places of licentiousness and promiscuity, right? Part of which had to do with the third aspect of the threshing time, and it, it was a celebratory time. It's the end of the harvest. It's celebrating what we've been given what's been provided. And so Naomi has a, a plan for Ruth to go and get pretty, to smell good, and to go down uh, into this revelry. And so what could possibly go wrong with this plan? Well, a lot. And Naomi knows that. She's, she's wise. And so she says, when you get there, stay hidden. Right? Don't let anyone see you. But after Boaz has finished eating and drinking, and, and, and take notice of where he lies. Apparently, Naomi knew somehow that traditionally the, the owners of the field, or, or at least Boaz, maybe because of their uh, relationship as family, knew Boaz, that, that he would sleep there with the grain. And probably part of that is protection, right? Possibly uh, in camaraderie with his workers. We don't know exactly. But another reality that we'll get to in a minute is that it might have had to do with the comfort of the evening. You know, you've got that nice wind blowing through, and I think we can all relate to this. Sometimes you go out in the evening, the wind's blowing, the temperature's right, and you just think, man, I could, I could just sleep out here, right? I, I could just sleep out here. This is great. So, so all these things are, are, are kind of going on, and while we don't know why, but Boaz is, is sleeping there with the grain. And so Naomi says, look, take notice of where he lies down. I don't, don't know which pile he'll be on, but, but take notice. And once he's asleep, go and uncover his feet, and he'll tell you what to do. And so Ruth, faithful, faithful Ruth, says, all that you say, I will do. And I, I want us, again, to re- remind us, this is, this is a big deal. Every action that Ruth takes is Hesed love. It's all, it's all, it could all go wrong at any time, right? She, she, she could very easily be mistaken uh, for, for a lady of the night, because this is where they would hang out sometimes at these times of year, right? Ruin the reputation that she has built. Uh, if she's seen with Boaz, she could potentially ruin Boaz's reputation, or worse, she could get rejected by Boaz. And so there's just a lot that could go wrong. But Ruth doesn't hesitate. She loves Naomi, 
and she's devoted to Naomi, and so she goes. Let's keep going. Verse 6. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. <clears throat> so Ruth does go and do what Naomi says. And Boaz eats and he drinks and he celebrates with his workers. And I love this. It says, when his heart was merry. And now, though it was a celebration, in light of the upright and honorable nature of Boaz, I think you'd be hard-pressed to, to say that he was drunk, okay? Uh, I'm not saying he's not feeling any effects of the, the revelry, but it's probably more about being thankful and grateful to Yahweh, being grateful for the plentiful harvest. And he had fun. He had fun with his workers. His heart is merry. And the clarity with which he's about to speak and think and interact, again, I think being drunk is, is, uh, should be removed from our mind because what, what is going to take place needs clarity, needs right decision-making, needs clarity of mind. But at the end of the celebrating, he's tired, and so he finds a portion of grain away from the, the revelry, and he goes to sleep. And so Ruth acts. She goes and uncovers his feet and lays down. Now, I, w- I would be remiss, of course, if I didn't discuss the action of uncovering the feet because actually it seems a little bit strange and everybody wants to know, what does that mean? What does it mean to uncover the feet? Well, uh, I've thought about this. I've, I've, I, I talk a lot about the brilliance of this author, and I think this is no uh, exception because I think you can read this, and I actually think the simplest reading is the best explanation. Uh, but the author is explicitly using this action to build tension, spence at things, being under the cover of the night, uh, this romantic tension building between Ro- Ruth and Boaz, and this would not have been missed by the Hebrew readers, okay? So again, I think that the simple reading leads to the actual meaning, and, and, and that's because of this. Remember, the, flesh, the, the threshing floor and the cooler nighttime breezes are, are happening, and, and Ruth uncovering Boaz's feet, I think what it did was made him cold, and he woke up. Right? It, it made him uncomfortable enough to, to wake up and wonder what's, what's going on. In fact, the word translated startled or, or was startled means to tremble. And it usually does mean with fear, but it's, a, it's, it's more of just like this physical startling. Something caused him to, to, to be moved and tremble. But he doesn't notice Ruth until after he rolls over. Okay? So, so many translators translate it, so he shivered and he rolled over. He got cold and he woke up. And then there's our word again, behold, behold, a woman. Like, and wouldn't you know it, there was a woman at his feet, right? So we do, not, we do need to take notice, though, even though it's a simple explanation, the author is using it to build tension, okay? So strangely enough, this is, might be strange to us, but feet in Hebrew writing uh, can be a euphemism for uh, a men's, man's special region, okay? Uh, also to uncover feet or uncover nakedness, it's, it's this way of speaking of a husband and wife, wife uh, biblically knowing each other. Uh, and, and the same can be said of when two lie down together. And so, so all of this specifically done by the author, not to communicate that Boaz and Ruth are sinning and, and being 
together outside the bonds of marriage, although some, some people do think that's the case, I think it's rather to communicate the tension of the whole story. It's leading to this big climactic resolve. And once Boaz wakes up, Ruth says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I, I think a different uh, and better translation, there are other ways to, to translate this, this wings. And one of the translations that I think is actually better is garment, but it does communicate the same thing, and that's this, that, that Ruth has gone to propose to Boaz. She's the one going to propose to Boaz to, to spread your garment, to spread your wing over her. That is communicating, hey, marry me, redeem me. Okay, and look at the boldness of Ruth. Boaz thinks Ruth is a great woman, yes. But listen, Ruth is a Moabite, Boaz is an Israelite. Okay, she is a woman propositioning a man, a servant asking a landowner, a poor person entreating a wealthy one, a young woman approaching a man probably closer to Naomi's age than Ruth's, and yet Ruth commits to the plan because of Naomi, because of that Hesed love driving her and motivating her. She tells Boaz, it's me, your servant. But she doesn't use the, the, the word for servant that she used back in the field, right? She actually uses the word which means maidservant. Uh, she's elevating her own class. She's, she's uh, using a word that, that can be used to refer to someone who is eligible for marriage. Okay? She, in other words, Ruth is, is elevating her own social status to speak to Boaz about marriage. And actually, this is the one place that Ruth kind of goes off screen. Right? She went, Naomi's plan was to have Ruth go and proposition uh, Boaz to, to marry her, okay? But this is where she goes off script because uh, she actually proposes, and when she proposes, she says, spread your wing or garment over me, which is proposal language, but she adds, for you are a redeemer, okay? Ruth appeals to the familial uh, obligation and custom of law for Boaz to marry, which meant not just so Ruth could have a husband, but so that Naomi and the line of Elimelech would be redeemed and survive and continue. Okay, Ruth subordinates her own happiness of getting a husband to the fam family duty of providing Naomi an heir and continuing the line. Even in her proposal to Boaz, the Hesed love of Ruth towards Naomi shines through. It's not just a marriage. It's a redeeming of the family that is taking place. And I love this. There's not even a moment of hesitation from Boaz. Right? He says, may you be blessed by the Lord. This kindness is even greater than the last kindness. Right? This thing that you have done in seeking a redeemer for Naomi and the line of Elimelech is even greater than you giving up your people, your land, your gods, your family at home to come and take care of Naomi. You could have gone after someone else, rich or poor, doesn't matter. Rather, you came to me as a redeemer because you continue to think about Naomi and caring for her. Boaz sees this Hesed love of Ruth. He actually is transfixed by it. It's a little bit of, do you ever think about yourself? What a woman you are. What you're doing is worthy of even more honor, even more reward of what you earned before. What additional reward could Yahweh possibly give you? Foreshadowing, to let you know. And he says, and he, he tells her, do not fear, right? Do not fear. It's such a, it, it, remembering Ruth's place where she was, Boaz communicating this is such powerful language. But he says, listen, don't fear. Everyone in town knows what a worthy woman you are. You see, Boaz is not lowering himself to marry Ruth. He acknowledges her with the same title he was actually given back in chapter 2 when it talks about Boaz being a worthy man. The phrase worthy woman is it's only used one other time in scripture, and that's Proverbs 31 when it talks about the, the uh, virtues of a worthy woman. 
In fact, prior to the time of Jesus, the book of Ruth used to go right after Proverbs. So you'd get Proverbs 31, like, worthy woman, worthy woman, what does it look like? Ruth. Okay, so it's really an amazing thing here that is happening. And so Ruth is a faithful woman, and Boaz knows it. But there's one problem, right? One teensy-weensy little problem. Boaz says, there's a Redeemer actually closer than me. There's a Redeemer closer to me, to Naomi, than, than myself. But he says, if he'll redeem you, good. If not, I'll do it. As the Lord lives, which is saying, I'm making a vow before the Lord. If he won't redeem you, I, I will. And remember, friends, this happened in the middle of the night. So Boaz could have, could have married Ruth and, and, and redeemed Naomi, and everything probably would have been fine. As we'll see you know, next week, the, the, the Redeemer didn't necessarily seem to know what was going on here. But Boaz is an honorable and worthy man, full of integrity, and he's willing to forego his own happiness to honor God. Right? He's going to trust the sovereign providence of God in his life more than his desire to be happy. And then Boaz tells her, stay here, sleep. He actually uses the word which means lodge, and, and it, I only point this out to, to remind us that th- this word lodge has no sexual connotation. This is the same word that Naomi, uh, Ruth used to Naomi when she says, I'm going to lodge with you. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Okay? The, the, it is a high display of integrity and honor between Ruth and this night. So let's finish up. Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. And she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it, in, put it on her. And then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. And he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So they go back to sleep, and early the next morning, Ruth wakes up before she could be recognized, and Boaz gives her six measures of barley. Right? We don't know how much it is, but it's a good amount. He has to lift it on to her. He puts it on her, and, and, and so she goes home. And, and, and the reason it's done in this way and it's said in this way, it probably has two purposes. First, uh, probably it is to protect Ruth. Right? Like If she gets stopped, it, it takes away from the idea of a scandal, and it makes it look like she's been working hard all night, and that's her reward, her take home for working. Secondly, there's some for Naomi, which we'll get to in just a minute. So Ruth goes home, and of course Naomi is like, well, how did it go? You know, like, how did it go? And, and Ruth tells Naomi everything. And it, honestly, it feels like, if we try to get into the reality of this, it was probably a really sweet scene between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law, right? And, and, and so he, she's wondering how it went. And Ruth tells her that what Boaz said. And then she actually, she tells about the barley, and then she adds this thing that we didn't get prior of what Boaz said to her. He said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And this may not seem like much, uh, but many things are happening here, right? Remember, our author, brilliant. If you remember back in chapter 1, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem and tells everyone, call her Mara, call her bitter. Why? Because she left full, came back empty. And now Boaz is saying to Naomi specifically, here, be empty no longer, right? Don't be empty-handed anymore. The author is contrasting and definitively bringing resolution. But, but here's what's interesting. We know they've had food. Right? Like, remember chapter 2. They, they, there's a cleaning. Just leave some for Ruth. She'll pick it up. And she comes home with 30 pounds of, of uh, wheat and barley. So this must also symbolize something else. See, this is Boaz saying, to answer your prayer, uh, Ruth being married, uh, I will make sure it happens. I will make sure it's answered. I will make sure you and your line are 
redeemed one way or another. This is powerful, friends. This is what Hesed love does. It takes care of business. Okay? It acts on God's behalf to bring death to life. These are, all also, these are also Ruth's final words of the book, which is symbolic because even though she didn't realize it, God had been with Naomi the whole time, right? And, and the Hesed love of Ruth towards her has acted as the intermediary between God and Naomi to bring her from bitterness to hope and joy and restoration. Naomi was empty and bitter, both in food and family, but now this gift represents food and family. It was, a symbolic, it was symbolic of a down payment that the famine and the bitterness she faced as soon at an end, as well as the fear of the family dying out. So, so this, this seed represented an ending to the second emptiness. And of course, overjoyed, Naomi tells Ruth to wait, to rest. There's nothing else you can do. Boaz will take care of it. And we're left here with an air of certainty and an air of uncertainty, right? Ruth will be married. The line will be redeemed, but we don't know if it's Boaz or someone else, right? And of course, we all want it to be Boaz, but I'm not going to tell you what happens until next week, in case you don't know. Don't read ahead. All right, so we're left with another cliffhanger. But as we, as we close today, I do want us to talk about uh, kind of a theological reality that is, is greatly displayed in this chapter that I think many of us struggle with. I, I mean, I know I do. So, you know, I, I'm just one of you all. I, I, I get it. I understand. But, but this theological reality that, that the tension between waiting on the Lord versus human action, right? Waiting on the Lord versus human action. And I'm not talking about you know, choosing a job, choosing a college, where to live. I'm talking about when to act with Hesed love towards others. That's what the whole book's about, right? In our story, we see throughout chapter one through three, both Ruth and Boaz uh, pray these prayers, or Naomi and Boaz pray these prayers concerning Ruth. And yet, ultimately, Naomi and Boaz become the agents to answer the prayers, right? And so with Naomi, she prayed that Ruth would find comfort and rest by having a new husband and children. And then in chapter three, she says, wait a minute, wait a minute, Ru- Ruth, but Boaz will be at the threshing floor. You know, go, go take a bath and anoint yourself and put on your, clo- your cloak. Go. This is, he's a re- relative. He's a redeemer. She has a plan. She's not scheming. She's saying, what have I been doing? Like, I- I'm your mother-in-law. I need to help find you rest. I need to f- help find you a husband. And Boaz is a relative. Let's try this. She's presented with an opportunity that seems good and right, and so she acts on it. Then in chapter 2, we've got Boaz, who is really generous with Ruth, and says, Ruth, I'm just trying to match what, what you've done for Naomi. You deserve more than this, and, and only God can make that happen. Only God can grant you more than this. And then Ruth comes in the night and says, marry me. And he's like, I'd be honored. <laughs> You're an honorable woman. I'm a redeemer. So he's presented with an opportunity that seems good and right, and so he acts on it. And of course, this again, we don't know how it turns out, but spoiler alert, it turns out. And what I want us to realize this morning, and I mentioned this way back in chapter one, that the main actor, the main character of this book, albeit mainly behind the scenes, is Yahweh, right? He is the one who is acting sovereignly, meaning he has ultimate power and authority and control over all things. And he's acting providentially, which means he is using his divine foreknowledge and insight and, and to act within the situation to bring about his intended and desired resolution. It's like in chapter 2 when Ruth happened to happen upon Boaz's field. And when Boaz, behold, Boaz showed up, right? It, it, or, or after the famine drove Naomi's family away from Bethlehem and the family dies, the Lord visits the people of Bethlehem to bring food, which draws Naomi 
and Ruth back, or when they happened to return at the beginning of barley harvest, or, or how Naomi happened to be a relative of Boaz, or how a, a harlot in Jericho named Rahab saw God, what God was doing with the people of Israel and said, save me, take me, so I can live and be with your people because your God is, is the true God. And she marries a guy named Salmon. They have a baby named Boaz. So friends, God's sovereign providence is all over this book. And what it shows us is there's a wonderful interplay of being in relationship with the Lord and doing the work of the Lord. The sovereign providence of God does not cause Ruth or Boaz to freeze. Rather, it causes them to act. It frees them. to. And then once Naomi has hope in, in, through, through the actions of Ruth and, and Boaz, her trust in Yahweh begin to return. And then she acts, knowing that Yahweh will bring to fruition his desired end. And they trust that whatever those results are, they are good and right and from God. And it's the same with us, right? God rarely works in the big supernatural ways. Rather, he's always working behind the scenes, guiding and shaping sovereignly and providentially. And as we act, we do the work of the Lord. It's never outside of his control. It's never outside of his ability. It's never too much for him to handle. And that frees us up to act. It's, it's why we can commit to Hesed love because we know and trust God's got it. God's got this. Our lives should echo Naomi's words in trust that the man will settle the matter. Like you've done the work, the man will settle the matter. God will settle it. We're doing the work, but God will settle the matter. We can trust that. And we can trust that ultimately the work will be for God's glory and our good, right? That, that it will ultimately work out for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, as Paul tells us in Romans. And his work is subtle, but it's continuous. Honestly, friends, I think there are a few ways we can display new covenant, kingdom living, living as Christ lived and loving as Christ loved than when we act in hesed love towards other people. By obeying God's command to love God and love others uh, because of our commitment to him, it, it displays God's love, period. Now, I want to encourage us this morning because as I've already said multiple times through the whole series, Loving this way is hard. It's not complicated. It's just hard. It's dying. It is, it's got death written all over it. Hesed love is costly. It's expensive. Our time, our energy, our money, our resources, our life, it is dying to self. It is hard. So then the question is, what do we actually get from Hesed love? Right? I mean, treasures in heaven or what? Right? We, we work hard. We die. Treasures in heaven, man. Treasures in heaven. And that's fine. But I actually want to encourage us from, from the words of Jesus this morning that in this life, you will also get something for loving this way and obeying the commands of God. We actually went over this a few months ago when we were in the book of John, but it's one of my favorite passages. John 14, 21 says this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself. You see what Jesus said there? People who have my commands and who do them, those people love me. And me and my Father... It, that, that is displaying that they love me. And when you do that, we will manifest ourselves to those people. We will draw closer to those people. And when we display Hesed love to people, we get more of Christ. We get more of Christ. That passage in John isn't a suggestion. It's a promised reality. When we obey the commands of God, we get God. And that's good news to the weary soul. The question is not, what, is, what do we get? The question to us is, is it enough? Right? Is it enough to get more of God? Right? It should be. It should be. Like, I, I mean, I ask myself this all the time. Like, I obey the commands of God. I get more of God no matter what happens, no matter how people respond. Is it enough? God is, this, the God who created everything, who made everything, who did everything for us, total sovereignty, total providence, says, I will manifest myself to you. 
The book of Ruth is written to show us a life of faith in God working behind the scenes, being the main orchestrator of events. It shows us people of faith moving out in love, allowing faith-driven love to motivate action. And this should be our life as well. Do we wait on the Lord to act? Or do we wait on the Lord or do we act? And when it comes to loving God and loving others, we act. And we trust that the sovereign God of all is providentially working through those actions to bring about His intended purposes. And when we do this, we, we act in Hesed love to others because of our faith. When we obey His commands, we get more of Him. And I want that to be an encouragement to us. Faith and trust in God, moving out in love, motivated action is Hesed. And so as we move into the Lord's table this morning, I want us to reflect on this reality. I want us to remember the, the love-motivated obedience of Christ, who didn't wait, right? Who acted, who gave all, who died on the cross so that we could become people of faith who are then able to live out and act and do as he did. And when we do that, we get more of him. And so, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, I want to, to welcome you to partake in this with us. If you're not, I would ask that you would just refrain. Um, and, and please consider this. Please consider this reality. That Christ died for you, motivated by his love for you. Not in how we would act, not in how we would commit or be inconsistently committed to him. And so the servers will come down, and, and then they'll pass out the elements. We'll hold it, and we'll take it together. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll move into that time. Lord, thank you again. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the example of, of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, motivated by their commitments, by their love, by their love for you, by their love for each other. You know, Ruth committing to Naomi in her deepest bitterness, saying potentially hurtful things to Ruth in front of other people, and yet Ruth still being honorable, being committed to her vow. It is a great example for us. And so, Lord, I, you know, it, it just continues to, to work in chapter 2 and chapter 3. God, you using that commitment, you using that vow, you working behind the scenes to bring about your intended action, manifesting yourself behind the scenes, but manifesting yourself in the story, into the lives of these characters. And so, Lord, as we ponder this, as we think about this, as we are beaten down by the responses we get from people when we try to love them, as we are trying desperately to love people, as we're, you know, do I need to do this one more time? Do I need to care for this person one more time? Do I need to show this act of love to this person one more time? Lord, help us to be motivated that when we do it, when we obey, we get you. And that is no small thing. And so, Lord, as we, as we take this Lord's Supper this morning, I also ask that you would use this cracker and this juice to remind us that at the end, because of your death and your resurrection, we get you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would be honored, be glorified this morning. We pray in Christ's name.